Welcome to the Aroma of Christ podcast, brothers and sisters in Christ. I am Ryan Brown, the pastor of the Fostoria Baptist Church, and the hope behind this podcast is to do nothing in any way to replace regular gathering among God's people. It is for the sake of mutual encouragement of one another through the singing and preaching ministry that we gather. But if you do happen to miss a week and want to keep up in Matthew, or if you want to re-listen to a sermon because it was particularly impactful or particularly confusing, this podcast is available to you. And so we continue on the Aroma of Christ sermons from the pulpit of Fostoria Baptist Church. Our scripture reading is Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. And this is a passage in which Jesus is taking a little bit of break from ministry and going into Gentile and indeed Canaanite territory. And there's a Canaanite woman who becomes a perfect example of faith. She becomes a perfect example of humility, a perfect example of an unentitled attitude. At first, she asks for the, for, the, for the Lord, the son of David, that is Jesus, to have mercy upon her. And Jesus ignores her. And then he, she continues to ponder, and the disciples say, send her away. And she, Jesus says that she's not his mission. He's there for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she still comes nearer to him and worships him. And then she, Jesus calls her a dog. Domesticated dog all the same, but a dog still. And she replies, truth, Lord. And says that she is willing to be considered a dog, knowing that she deserves nothing. But that she will gladly take the crumbs from the master's table, because ultimately, those crumbs are enough. The scripture reads, Then Jesus went thence, and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts, and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Good morning again. Matthew 20, 29. That begins our text for this morning. 
As we continue looking at the book of Matthew, we continue in this section of Matthew that is focused a lot on the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom, even the upside-down nature in regard to status of the recipients of the kingdom. And it continues what is a very short travel narrative of Jesus going to Jerusalem. Matthew 20, 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you. They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Father, help us to see the wonderful mercy of Jesus today. In the midst of this short passage, may that be our focus. May that be what we ultimately understand. May we see how Matthew has instructed us to recognize Jesus' mercy and his great welcome of all of us. I pray, Lord, that you would use this in us to give us great gratitude and to cause us to live rightly, to adorn your gospel in the right way, to live as good citizens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in high school, it came about through an odd set of circumstances that I was able to go to Oklahoma City in order to go to a half-debate camp and half-leadership camp. Now, this was a completely free trip based off of how the weird circumstances came about. And it was a debate leadership camp hosted by four-star general Tommy that in and of itself became a big deal to those who were there. This was a great man, a military leader within the United States, who had seen and orchestrated, had seen and orchestrated some pretty significant military excursions. But we ended up finding some other strange things about how we were being welcomed, 
we found out as we were planning to go that we would be spending some time in the governor's mansion. In the uh, governor of Oklahoma, being able to dine with him. And when we actually got there, we learned something else, something that had been kept secret for security reasons. And that is that we would have the opportunity to hear a speech from King Abdullah II of Jordan. Now, there was a lot of greatness and excitement from all of these acquaintances, that most of whom I met that week, about all of the great men we were going to see and shake hands with and hear speak to us about these significant things of leadership. We found it remarkable that we as high school students could be welcomed by any of them for much of anything. In our text before us today, there are two blind men. And they have a great man, the greatest man, walking by them. And they want to receive a welcome from him. But it doesn't go as easily or quickly for them as it would at first seem. We begin in this passage in verses 29 to 30. Verses 29 to 30 provide our first scene, the request on the road. Matthew 29, Matthew 20, 29 through 30. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. Matthew 20, 17 reminded us and showed us that Jesus was heading towards Jerusalem. That that is coming to this place of a culmination of his victory, coming to a culmination of his suffering and death and resurrection. And here as they're making their way to Jerusalem, they're departing out of Jericho. And as is often the case, there's a great multitude following him. Jesus has a throng of people surrounding him. And behold, and look, pay attention to this, Matthew tells us in verse 30. There are two blind men sitting by the wayside. They're sitting on the road, or by the road, waiting for someone to pass by that way almost certainly trying to make sure that they can sustain themselves, finding themselves in no situation but simply begging. But they hear this great crowd passing, and they particularly find out in some way that it's Jesus that is at the head of this crowd, that all of this crowd is there for this man, Jesus. We don't know much about these two blind men. We don't even know their name. But apparently they know something about Jesus because they immediately are able to respond. Have mercy on us. O Lord, thou son of David. 
have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. It's the same request and the same titles as was used by the Canaanite woman in our scripture reading in Matthew 15. And it's just a little bit ironic because this one statement, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David, shows that though these men might be physically blind, there are lots of things that they see and lots of things that they see better than many religious leaders at the time, perhaps even better than the disciples themselves. You can see it first in the statement, have mercy on us. Here they see something. They see two things, realistically. They see that Jesus can have mercy upon them, that there is a power within Jesus himself, such that there is something that can be granted to them, particularly that they would be able to have sight. They know Jesus is capable of healing them, capable of giving mercy. But they also see that Jesus is not obligated to give them that mercy. The idea of mercy is an idea of an undeserved favor. It's a, a gift or a favor that says given without instigation, without anyone who's receiving it, actually earning it, deserving it. See, I think in our culture, in our normal expectations, we'd say that if these two men are blind and Jesus has the ability to heal them, that Jesus would then have the obligation to heal them. We tend to think in terms of entitlement that we should always receive certain things. Indeed, in a sermon on Matthew 15, 21 to 28, R.C. Sproul questioned whether entitlement was the biggest problem in American culture, such that ultimately it would be the undoing of the United States. These two men don't have that same entitlement. They call it for what it is, a request for mercy, a request for what they don't deserve. And then they refer to him as Lord. Now, it would be too much for us to say that because they used the word Lord, they were recognizing Jesus as Yahweh. It's not clear that they're recognizing him as God himself. But they are certainly recognizing that he has authority, that he is a Lord and a master over particular people. There's a claim of authority that he rightly has, and so they can rightly call him Lord. And further call him the son of David. Recognizing that his family line goes back to David. But even more so, recognizing that this is not just some prophet. This is not just some great teacher. This is the coming anointed one. That is the coming Messiah or Christ. This is the coming son of David who would reign forever. 
who would have a kingdom that would never end. And so these two blind men see these three things and cry out, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. That's the request on the road. But as we move into verse 31, the second scene of this short text, it moves from the request on the road to the rebuke on the road. The request is not met with immediate acceptance and welcoming. Instead, it is met with a rebuke in Matthew 20, 31. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. In verse 29, we learn that Jesus was surrounded by a throng. He was surrounded by a multitude, a great multitude that was following after him. And now that multitude becomes, as it were, a significant character within this narrative. What they did at that time is significant to the point Matthew drives as they rebuked these two blind men. They rebuked them and told them that they should hold their peace, that they should keep quiet. Turn back with me to Matthew 19. The beginning of the narrative unit of Matthew started in Matthew 19.3. After an introduction showing increasing hostility and the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom, we got this beautiful continuation of the theme. Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer, little children, and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. There in Matthew 19, there are little children, lowly in status, and they are brought unto Jesus, desiring that he would lay their hands, his hands on them and pray over them. There the disciples rebuke. The disciples give the implication that these children are not worth the master's time. But Jesus says, let them come. Do not forbid them. Let them come, for of such of such low in status like this is the kingdom of heaven. Not the rich man who can talk about how he has, has fulfilled all of the commandments. Those willing to humble ourselves as little children. 
Here it's the two blind men who serve as those low in status, blind beggars upon the road, being rebuked by not the disciples, but the multitude as a whole, that they should keep quiet and not bother the master anymore. This is a great man who has no reason to welcome such people low in status. No obligation to, and under normal cultural customs, wouldn't really begin to think about doing it. But regardless of what these men are being told, they cry out all the more. They are not silenced by the multitude rebuking them, but they shout out. They cry out with all the more fervency, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. It almost seems that unlike the crowd, they see that Jesus is not so easily turned away by questions of status. That Jesus is not so interested in this reality, but is willing to extend mercy to the lowest of the low who simply ask for it. But as they continue to cry out, this time the reaction is different. It's not by the multitude, but instead by Jesus himself. As we move into the third scene, the receiving of sight on the road. The receiving of sight on the road. Matthew 20, verses 32 to 34. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. The crowd tried to silence them. But Jesus stops his traveling. He stands still and he recognizes them. He calls them unto him and asks, What will ye and I should do unto you? And the question receives the answer simply, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Not just a generic claim for mercy, but now a specific request that the eyes be opened, that they be able to see. And verse 34 tells us, Jesus had compassion on them. He most certainly had time for them. He was the greatest man who ever walked this earth, yet he still had compassion on these blind beggars. And just to get more of a picture of his gentility, though he could have healed them just with a word, 
as he has done before. Here he gently touches their eyes, and they receive sight. The blind men see. They receive mercy. They are welcomed by this great man, such that they too end up joining the throng that is accompanying him towards Jerusalem. They too follow after Jesus, the one who welcomes all, the one who welcomes even the lowly, and one might even say especially the lowly, since it is recognizing that we are lowly regardless of what status we have in earth or regardless of what obedience to the Lord we have had, regardless of what list of resume we might have, like as Tom was talking about from Philippians 3. Regardless of what type of qualifications we might have, the ones who truly receive mercy are we who recognize that all of those things are but as dumb. We count them but loss for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Matthew 20, 29 to 34 seems to continue the same themes Matthew has been harping over and over. This particular instance that the son of David welcomes anyone into his mercy. The change in the question of verse 32, what will ye that I shall do unto you, stands in contrast to Matthew 19, verse 16. Matthew 19, 16 says, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? That's the perspective of the rich man. What can I do that I may gain? Jesus' question of the blind men flips it not as what we do to gain something from Jesus, but what does Jesus do for us? None are deserving, so all are welcome. What's partially unique about this particular development of that fact of mercy coming to the undeserving, which is definitionally true, that's what mercy is, not just looking at the fact that God's grace and favor come to those who are lowly in status. What's unique is that people who are following after Jesus perhaps not directly disciples of Jesus, perhaps part of a greater concentric circle of just being a throng following after him, they are turning, trying to turn away these blind men, just as the disciples tried to turn away the little children. You know, it's easy when we think about the world at large, the fact that in America, churches as a whole are dwindling in size. 
It's easy to blame that on a secularization of culture. Say that uh, science is teaching all of these unsupernatural things. That there's this basic reality of pushing against the God who creates everything by speaking. And there's even can pull out influences in the world against God's moral code. But as I interact with more and more unbelievers, I'm finding reason to believe that it has less to do with the secularization of the world, more to do with the reality of what the church is doing. On Tuesday, Russell Moore is going to release a book, Losing Our Religion, an altar call for American Christianity. As he's been advertising that book, he's been advertising it saying that the basic premise of it is that people, that Christianity is dwindling, not because people don't believe in the supernatural, but because they don't believe that the church believes it. The more I interact, the more I hear unbelievers talk about their experiences in various churches in Fostoria, the more it seems that that is indeed actually the case. A certain reality in which we have stopped welcoming in the way that we should. Instead, moved on to deviations, concerns about outward living, in regard to tattoos or not tattoos, in regards to things of that type of sort. This multitude rebuked the blind men, desired for them to hold their peace and remain silent. They cried out all the more, and Jesus welcomed them all the same. You're in the hearing of my voice. And you have found yourself in a situation where people who presumably were following Jesus had not extended to you the welcome. Note that regardless of what we have done, Jesus welcomes you. Jesus is ready to extend mercy to you. He's ready to extend mercy to the lowest of the low, because we all are the lowest of the low. Because there's nothing in any of us that is commendable, but all our righteousnesses, as Isaiah 64, 6 says, are but as filthy rags. All our righteousnesses are but as menstrual rags. Can't clean us up only leave us more dirty than when we started. Indeed, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came, and according to Matthew 20, 28, not to be ministered unto, 
but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We deserve eternal torment. We deserve eternal suffering. But he gave his life in our place. He gave his life that we could have life. Simply by coming to him as he dies on the cross and is risen again and saying, have mercy upon me, O Lord, thou son of David. Don't leave here today not requesting and seeing that mercy. Come and recognize it. Come to Jesus. Talk to me or many others that are in this room and let them explain the gospel to you. Explain more of the fact that we are all sinners and that Jesus died and rose again giving his life as a ransom in place of many, that we would be free from this torment and we'd be free from this sin. And then with the early 2000s song, we can all question and wonder together, my God, my God, why hast thou accepted me? When all my love was vinegar to a thirsty king, my God, my God, why hast thou accepted me? It's a mystery of faith and of song. The song I sing. Father. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son as a ransom in place of many. We thank you that you have provided for us mercy, that we don't have to deserve anything. We cannot merit anything, but simply have to acknowledge our need, our defect, and simply come to you, not feeling entitled to anything from you, but requesting mercy. And Lord, may we be like these blind men asking mercy from you. And may we not be like the proud. May our response to the fact that you are so merciful and gracious, extending welcome to anyone, be that we do the same. That we interact in the same way, extending mercy, grace, and welcome to all. I thank you, Lord, for this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Aroma for Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Pastoria of Baptist Church. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things?